today. I'm going to ask you to stand with your Bibles in honor of the reading of God's Word today, just like we always do. And at the end, I'm going to we're going to Ruth chapter one, Ruth chapter one. And when I finish, I'm going to say, "This is the Word of the Lord," and we're going to say, "Thanks be to God." The most important thing we do today is read His Word. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read the entire chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mylon and Kilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, the, uh, excuse me, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mylon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the, way to, on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her, her, her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become, that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And, and if... I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the almighty has brought calamity upon me 
So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Wow, boy, the Lord is doing a unique work, and I'm very, very thankful that we all get to be a part of what he's doing here at Riverdale. And I want to be really clear up front uh, from the very beginning. Uh, Listen, uh, today, I don't know where you are. We're starting a new series today. We're in the book of Ruth. As you can tell, we're going to spend the next four weeks there, and we're calling it uh, love and loyalty. But I want to make sure that you hear and you're, it's really, really clear to you that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, Jesus is the answer to what you're facing. Okay? He, he's it. The reason that we come together, the reason that we're here today is to lift his name high, to lift his name high. You know, when we sing uh, the song, there, there's something about his name, at the name of Jesus. There, I mean, it, the name of Jesus is strong. And so no matter where you are today, no matter what you're facing, I want you to know, because for those of us in here who have surrendered our lives to Christ, who've submitted your life to him, you're now in Christ. You're united with him. And we have everything that we need for life and holiness and godliness. And so if you're in a down day, I want you to know Jesus is the answer. If you're in an up day, Jesus is the answer. If you're feeling like you're whooped and defeated, Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. You know, we're talking today and we're going to spend some time, I think we're going to see in this book of Ruth, and I'm really excited about walking through it. I've never preached through the book of Ruth. And as I've been studying, you know, Ruth is all about choices and decisions. And today, especially chapter one, we're going to be talking about our choices and our decisions. And we're going to see how the decisions and the choices of a family made a difference. There's a, there's a, there's a law called the law of unintended consequences. Anybody ever heard of that law? Maybe it is, it's, it, you, you may have studied it in social sciences and counseling or psychology. Maybe you studied it in economics or those types of things in finance that sometimes, all the time, we make decisions and we don't always fully recognize what the consequences and, of those are going to be. We don't always recognize the implications of what those are going to be. They could be what we see in the, in the short future, in the short term, and immediate when we look, this is a good decision, but it ends up having bad consequences. Or you may make something that is, and this is, I think, is the story of the gospel. We make a very bad decision, and maybe even you recognize you're making a bad decision, but under the sovereignty of God, he takes those decisions and he works good for them. Romans 8, 28 tells us. But all of life is about decisions. It's about making decisions good decisions. And when we come to Ruth, Ruth, and when I say good decisions as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the word of God. Okay. I'm talking about us making decisions based on what does the word of God has to say. And when we come to Ruth chapter one, we begin to realize and look at and see where the Lord has set this book, this book, Ruth, if you're turning there, turning it on or something, it comes after judges. Many people, many theologians, many scholars think that the the book of Judges and Ruth are connected, that they were together. We see the book of Judges is all about a time and the period in the life of Israel The scripture tells us, in fact, look back, turn back one page to the last chapter in Judges, Judges 21, verse 25. 
Judges 21, 25, it says this, in those days, in the days of the judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That could have been written today, couldn't it? <laughs> everyone kind of does what it seems right in their own eyes. Well, Ruth, the beginning of this book says in the, look, look at verse one, once you see that. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Okay, so Ruth is setting place in a day when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. This is what was happening. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a family where judges has been about Israel and about how everyone was just making their own decisions. They had left the word of the, 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 word of the Lord, the word of God behind, and they were doing their own thing. Now then Ruth comes in and it focuses down on a family one specific family who lived in this time and how they had made some decisions, made some very bad decisions, to be real honest with you. The, the husband made a very bad decision. But God in his sovereignty, in his providence looking back, he had preserved a family for himself so that his son, one day Jesus would be born. This was written about a thousand years prior to David, King David, excuse me, about a thousand years prior to Jesus coming. And so what you're seeing here and we're going to see as we flesh this out over the next three weeks is how God himself is faithful in his sovereignty, how he is faithful. Now, just so that you know, kind of setting the stage up here, uh, anybody remember what the word Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem means? City of Bethlehem means house of bread. It's the house of bread. And the scripture tells us here in the first verse or two that in the house of bread, it says there was a famine. Now, in the Old Testament, the word famine oftentimes symbolically goes along with uh, uh, unrighteousness, rebellion. Now, I need you to hear me. There was a real famine in the land. There was a real famine in the land. Many of us in here today you, will use and kick around. Some of you may be right now thinking, I'm starving to death, all right? Some of you, you it may be like crazy. You're like, I, I'm going to probably mistake the growling in your stomach for an amen. So if I say, that's right, I'm not, you know. But many, most of us in here, we've never been starving to death. We throw away more food. I mean, listen, we get rid of more food. But I, I need you to know, in this scripture, in this passage, in this time, there was a real famine in the land. The crazy thing was is that the house of bread, Bethlehem, had no bread. No bread. And so what ends up happening, the story goes, that as, as he begins to tell it, there was a family who was led by a husband named Elimelech. He had a wife named Naomi. Now, if you're writing down, I want you to write down some of these things because this is going to be really important. Elimelech means this, God is king. It means God is king. The name Naomi means pleasantness. I need you to hang on to those because this is going to, I'm going to come back to these names because they mean something here. And so what Elimelech does, like all good dads, he's noticing there is no bread. I mean, there is a famine in the area, and he hears Moab has all kinds of food. So like a good dad, he starts kind of weighing some things out. He begins to think logically, no food here, food over there. Why not load up and us go over there 
to Moab. Why, don't, why, why not just do that? It seems like that should be the right thing to do. It seems logical. So what does Elimelech do? He loads up his camels. He breaks down the tents, gets the donkeys. Uh, he, he and his, two, his wife and two sons, they head off to Moab. But he should have known better. Listen, what seemed like a logical decision, what seems like a logical decision was a horrible decision. Men in this room, all right, men in this room, we typically are, most men are logical in nature. We think logically. We start trying to get the pros and cons and laying them out. But I need you to know, in God's economy, what is always logical may not always be the best choice because our Father has a different economy than you and I do. And this decision Though it looked good on the outside, though it looked logical, like this is what I ought to be doing, was a horrible decision. Why? Well, I, I, I want you to catch this, all right? Uh, Moab, you know, do you know how the nation of Moab started? The nation of Moab started, Genesis 19. You can write this down. I want you to go back and see it. Moab was the child of Lot, the nephew of Abraham, Lot, through an incestuous relationship with his daughter. So you have Moab that comes into being. Uh, they, they grow, they populate. You end up having then, uh, hundreds of years later, the nation of Israel taken into captivity. They go into captivity into Egypt. You remember that? Prince of Egypt story? Moses is there. He goes to get them, set the captives free. They go out. They're, I mean, they're kicking tail with the armies of the land, the Amorites. The king of Moab, his name was Balak. Balak paid for a very wicked and evil prophet named Balaam. Some of you have heard this story. Balaam's donkey who spoke. Well, that wicked prophet Balak said, I'm paying you, I need you to pronounce a curse on this, this nation of Israelites that's coming. They're going to kick tail of us. God shut his mouth, would not let him do that. He was unable to pronounce a curse against the nation of Israel. So what does Balaam do over in Numbers 22 through 24? You can read about it later. He goes to the king of Moab and he says, hey, listen, here's how you're going to win. Here's how you can win. Here's how you can take this country down. Uh, they're not to intermarry with any, uh, any foreign uh, nation. Why don't you send your best, beautiful, your brides, your young virgins, Moabites, and let them seduce the Israelite men. And that's what ended up happening. And as a result, God sent a plague and 24,000 Israelites died in one day. Do you know who the Moabites' main God? As they, were a foreign, they were a foreign people and they worshiped a foreign God. They worshiped a foreign God named Chemosh. C-H-E-M-O-S-H, if you'd like to look that up. Chemosh was signified. He was handmade. You realize any gods that are handmade aren't true gods. There's only one true God. So he's made as a copper basin of, of a, a, like a Buddha looking thing. Copper basin uh, has a big hole in the background where they would feed wood into it. They would make this thing so hot. I mean, like hot, hot, hot. And you know how they would worship? They would take their babies and cast them into the hole, into Chemosh's belly. Child sacrifice. This, this is the evil country of Moab. And Elimelech knew. Elimelech knew. 
the man whose name God is king did not live like God was his king. Folks, I, I'm not going to stop right here. Comma. Those of us who name the name of Christ, Jesus, as his savior, this should cause us to stop and think. The decisions that I'm making, do they line up with the name that I'm saying I follow? Do they line up with that name that I say that I trust? He should have known. In fact, he did know. Any good God-fearing Israelite would know. Moab, nah, uh-uh. Nope, don't go. Shouldn't leave. I, I, right now, if you're in a situation and you're thinking, over there, this is going to be the right thing to do, and it is plenty, but there's no God, I need you to know, it will be famine. Or where you are, there is like, I don't see a way, but there is God. You stay there because you have everything. This is where Elimelech was. This is where Elimelech led his family. Verse 3 tells us they get over there, and, and like always, <laughs> you think everything's going to be great. You know what happens to Elimelech in verse 3? He dies. What does Naomi do? She, her two boys, Mylon and Kilion, they marry Moabite women. They knew not to do that. Look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy's in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 says this. You, God is speaking here. He says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Listen, Mo, Elimelech loading up, heading to Moab would be like us today going, you know, I think I'm going to move. House is a little small. Uh, got an opportunity, think I'm going to move. You move into an area where you know, oh, that, I, I like that house. You know, across the street is a brothel and a meth house. Nothing bad's ever going to happen there. We'll just move in there, right? Folks, this is exactly what Elimelech did. This is what he's doing. You see, we don't think often enough that our our all of life is decisions. All of life are decisions. And we don't think that uh, I, I'll be okay. <laughs> it won't happen to me. Happen to him? That's a knucklehead. It won't happen to me. Our life is full of decisions. And as a follower of God, one who has surrendered their life, Elimelech knew this is not what I should do. And you know what happens right after that? Scripture tells us that the two sons die. And now Naomi is all alone. She's not all alone. She has two Moabite daughters-in-law. She's in the fields. The Scripture tells us, the story says this, while she is in the fields working, word comes back that the house of bread is having a harvest. And she says, I'm going to leave. There's nothing left for me. They load up the camels again, however it works. I don't quite know. Because if she stayed in Moab, listen, she's a widow. She is dependent on all of her family. And what has happened to all of her family? They're dead. Oh, she has two daughters-in-law, but they can't provide because in the culture of that day, women didn't have that opportunity. 
I'm going home. I'm, gonna go, I'm going to return, the scripture says. I'm going to return back to the house of the Lord, the house of bread. They load up and they go. The daughters-in-law say they're going to go. They stop somewhere between where they were and where they're going. And Naomi says this, turn and go back, daughters. Go back. You, you need to go because there is nothing that I can do for you. I'm an old woman. I, I'm not going to be able to bear any children. If I could bear children, if I, if I had a husband today, I, I could bear children tonight. I, you, are you going to wait? This can't happen. You're not going to do that. They, I mean, the scripture says they fall on each other. They're, they're doing what women are doing. They're crying. They're hugging. They're doing all of those things. And you know what ends up happening? One of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, not Oprah, this is Orpah. Orpah returns back to Moab. She goes back is what she does. Naomi looks at Ruth and says, what about you? You need to follow your sister, follow your sister-in-law. She says, no, I'm not going. I'm with you. I'm going with you. The story goes on. It says they walk into town. They get to Bethlehem. As they get to Bethlehem, all of the older ladies, they see, she looks familiar. It, is that Naomi? Looks like Naomi, walks like Naomi. I, Naomi? Yeah. And Naomi says this to her, don't call me Naomi. You remember what Naomi's name meant? Pleasantness, sweetness. She says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet. My life has turned out bitter. My life's bitter. Call me Mara. This is a reference back to Exodus chapter 15 when they were leaving, the pro uh, leaving uh, Egypt to head to, the, head to the promised land. They came to a, a lake where they needed water. The people are grumbling. They taste the water, and it was bitter. And they called it Mara. You know what Moses did? Moses took a stick that God had told him, you take that and you throw it in, and the water became sweet. I, I have to stop, another comma if you don't mind. Today, where you are, from the front to the back, you may be in a state of tragedy, and you feel like, my life is so bitter. I, I made decisions that I thought this is going, I, 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 wanna, I want you to be really, I need you to hear this. Wherever you are today in that bitterness and that tragedy, the Lord was working a triumph in the life of Naomi that he didn't, she didn't even know was going on. I'm not talking, I need you to hear me. I'm not talking like prosperity gospel stuff. I'm talking about the Lord is preserving for him a name, a people, because he was sending his son, Jesus, through the line of David. And he said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to be faithful to me because of me, my namesake, and I'm going to provide. So where you are today, if you're facing, I, my life was once sweet and it tastes bitter right now. There is never, ever, ever a, long, a wrong time to turn back to the word of the Lord. Never a time. 
You may go, I'm too far gone. Will he hear me? That dude right there speaking, he doesn't know me, but I know God. I know his word. And I know this, no matter the decisions that you have made, no matter the decisions that have been thrust on you, because you got to remember, Elimelech made the decision for them to go to Moab. No, Naomi did not. Naomi didn't make it. So there may be in a situation where what you are in, it came to you. This is another word for us, that our lives are interconnected. And what we do, the decisions that we make affect people all around us. And the enemy says, did, did God really say? This is going to affect only you. No one's going to know. This is just you. Folks, that is a lie from the father of lies. But today, Jesus, I, he's the one. He wants to set you free. He wants to take your bitter and turn to pleasant, turn to sweet. We may still have to walk out of some things, but I promise you this. As his child, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do you know why he won't leave you or forsake you? Because Jesus was forsaken on the tree for us. And because we've surrendered and submitted to Jesus, we will never, ever be forgotten or forsaken. Because we're now in Christ. This is why we preach Jesus. This is why we sing about Jesus. This is why Ruth points us to Jesus. You see, what seemed right, what seemed right to Elimelech, logical. Many of you may have been there before. You may be in this situation. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way to death. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, your own logic. In all your ways, you acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Folks, this is what Jesus has called you here for today. For you to hear, he wants to make your crooked path straight again. There's three principles I want us to see from this story, and I'm going to move through them quickly. So I'm asking you to write quickly and listen quickly as we talk through these. Principle number one of the story is this. Number one, life is full of decisions. Life, I need you to know that's all life is, is one decision to the next, isn't it? I, think about for just a moment how many decisions you had to make, how many I had to make. You don't know how many I had to make. I don't know how many you had to make. To get here just this morning, just this morning, all the different decisions. I mean, unbelievable. In a room 200 right now, there's probably a thousand different decisions that had to be made. And not any of them are all the same. Some of them were the same. All of you at least chose last night that you were going to go to church today. And you're here. Praise God. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made. What I am finding out the longer that I pastor, and I've done this now for about 30 years, is that most people make decisions, followers of Jesus Christ included, we make decisions out of our own desires and our own comforts and what's best for me and mine. And I need you to know, logically, that does not always line up because our God defies logic. 
He calls us to go to his word, to listen to what it is that he has to say. I mean, listen, I, I'm gonna go ahead and throw some of these things out right now because who you marry is not in the word, but principally he calls us to line up with who he desires us to marry. Uh, oftentimes it looks good on the front end, but it's in the middle of it that we realize, oh no, what's happened? It may have been thrust on you. You didn't know. Some of you though, you ran headlong into it and you knew. What made the most sense for you, what, what you thought this is right. The question is, is have we taken the time to go, Father, is this what you desire from me? Is this what it is? And I, I wanna speak a word to you right now. You may find yourself in a situation right now that you did not want and you did not desire. You're on the back end of some divorce that happened. I need you to know he's going to take a tragedy and turn it to triumph. If you come to him, this is, Father, I, you're going you're gonna to make my bitter sweet again. I, I believe that. Some of you right now, you're sitting in marriage three or four, and I need you to hear me. The one you're in right now is the one he put you, you're in. He means for it to be a lifetime from this day forward. You do not go looking for anything else. The Lord has placed you where he has placed you. Most of the time, students, I hear students, I, talk, I get the opportunity, I love you, I love talking to students. Rarely do I hear a student talk about where they're going to go to college based on where they're going to do the most amount of mission and based on how it's going to prepare me for the mission of God. Usually it's about they have the right major, they've got the right finances, this is going to be the right place for me. I want to get away from mom and dad. I want to be my own person. I want to do these things. Oh, that must have been y'all. One of y'all must have said that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And the question is, is what did the Lord have to say about this? Maybe it's, maybe it's my major. What's going to get me the most amount of money? Maybe it's a house. This house is going to, this is going to be, uh, uh, listen, we need more room. This house is going to work. Now it's going to stretch me financially. I may not be able to do this over here. Uh, you're going, Kyle, you're, you're talking about things that, that, that aren't in the scripture, but I need you to hear me. The Lord always answers the things that we're walking in. It may be principally that he's called us to. You know, when you come to a point when you don't know what to do, I've had people come and talk to me and go, I'm I, like, should I buy this truck? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. I can ask you some questions that are from the word, that are from the word. Have you prayed about it? No, like really prayed about it. I'm putting my agenda on the, on the altar. And this is, I'm, I'm, should I move to this other country or other county, or other state. They're going to give me, I mean, I'm like, I'm about to get jacked. I, this is going to be incredible, the amount of money I'm going to get. I would ask, oh, so what does it profit to gain the whole world and get a big bank account if your kids are, they're growing, are they growing spiritually where they are? Has the Lord changed your life where you are? What is your... You see... Before we make decisions, because life is full of decisions, it is one big decision. Have we gone to the Father? Have we gone to his word? Have we gone to his covenant community to say, hey, I need some wise counsel here. You know me well. This is why we talk about getting into community and walking with people, because I need people who know me well. 
that can ask me some questions that I would never ask myself. <laughs> and say, Do you, what about this? What about this? You see, life is full of decisions. What did Elimelech do? Seems logical. Food over there. No God, but there's food over there. My family will be okay. Folks, listen, this is not how the word of the Lord has called us. He's called us to walk with him, to walk in covenant community with him, and to obey what he said. It's never too late. Wherever you are today, and I have a feeling there are some people in here that you've got an appointment today or tomorrow to make a big decision. And my question is, have you gone to the Father? Have you gone to your community? Is there a twinge in your spirit right now? I need you to know. You may want to just settle. Because you may, you may go to Moab. And though it looks good, there's probably famine there. At least famine spiritually. Second thing, quickly, second principle is this. Bad decisions lead to bad consequences. Ding, 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 ding. You're going, tell me something new. Do you realize that the most simplest of truths often are the most profound? Making bad decisions will lead to bad consequences. This is, this is just like, I'm going to plant an apple seed. I should get an apple tree. You make a bad decision. One that doesn't line up with the word of God is probably going to lead to a bad consequence. Do you notice in verse 21, I believe it is. If you look over at verse 21 in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth blamed God for the pain and the suffering that was in her life when in reality it was Elimelech who made the decision. Now she recognizes, and I need you to hear me, Everything that happens is under the sovereignty of God. He is the one who is completely in control. There's not a molecule, an atom in this world that is running around rogue. But I also need you to know that you and I make decisions that are real decisions who have real consequences. And she looked and said, the Lord has done this to me when in reality, Elimelech made a very bad decision, a decision that he knew he should have never made because the word of, of the Lord said, Do, this, is where, this is your promised land. You obey me right here. This is why I said just a minute ago, and I want to repeat it. Going to Moab where there is plenty can lead to spiritual famine. Staying where you are where it may be a physical famine, and though you have God, you have everything that you need. He will provide for you because he's not going to go back on his word. I hear it all the time in counseling. I, rarely do I hear, me did it. Me did it, it's me. Usually what I hear is, is that woman over there, that man over there, they do it that because of that, what they're doing. They're going back to the garden, you remember when the Lord asked Adam, did you eat from the tree? No, she did. Shifting the blame. Folks, listen, when in reality, the very first thing that we need to do before the father is, father, I've made a bad decision. I made something that didn't honor you. And you know why I can say that? It's because I've been there been there, when it all looked right, when it all felt right, when it all, and then in reality, I have to come back and go, God, I, I, 
I zigged when you zagged. I should have been here and I was over here. But I want to keep coming back to you that we serve a good and gracious God who is long-suffering, who is steadfast in his love for us. Though we turn, he never turns. There is no shadow of turning in him. Though we make a poor decision, do you know what? He stands ready. Because he, you realize, my bad decision is not going to thwart his plan. He is waiting on me. He calls me to repent, to come to him, to turn to him, to obey the word that he's given to me because he's going to take my bitter turn to sweetness. He'll take my mourning and bring joy, laughing and dancing. But he's called us to obey his Word. In Exodus chapter 15, when, it, when, uh, when Naomi, excuse me, in, Ex- in, in uh, Ruth 1, when Naomi says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Remember in Exodus 15, I said, that's where the, the lake, the bitter lake, the bitter water. Immediately, the last, I think it's the last two verses of Exodus 15, as they move out from, the, from that area, they end up going to, because the Lord led them to an area called Elam, E-L-I-M, Elam. And Elam was a place of oasis. It was a place where there were 70 palm trees, 12 different water springs where they could be fed, nourished. Folks, I... I I just have to continue to hold up that our God, our God is a God who relishes in nourishing you. Today, if you're in a spiritual famine, I need you to know that Jesus is the living bread. And he offers his son to you. And if you drink from the living water, you'll never thirst again. All the pools you've been trying to drink from, they will taste bitter, but he alone is sweet. Bad decisions, bad decisions lead to bad consequences. And even though life is full of choices, we have to look to the Lord. The last thing, number three, the principle, and I'm going to close this up. We're going to take a time of communion today, is this. The best decision that you can make is to Love and be loyal to God. The best decision you can make is to love God and to be loyal to God. Can I give you a biblical word for what that means? Covenant. To be in a covenant relationship with him. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Ruth is speaking to Naomi. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Uh, This right here. Anybody ever heard this in a, in a wedding? Anybody ever heard, been in a wedding ceremony and heard this? A few of you have. Do you know why this 
this is used in a wedding ceremony so often is because this is covenant language. This is, this is not contractual language. This is covenant language. Uh, yes, this is a daughter-in-law speaking to a mother-in-law, but it is a perfect picture of what it means to be in covenant. Uh, if you got a pen and you write in your Bible or you're gonna take some notes, I need you to see this. Look at verse 16, and let's just talk real quickly about what the covenant language is. She says, listen, I'm not going to leave you or return from following you. I, where you're going, I'm gonna go. She says, I'm gonna lodge where your home is, it's gonna be my home. Where you sleep is where I'm gonna sleep. Notice, your God, I believe this Moabite woman whose main God was Chemosh, this is, I, I, this is her salvation. This is her covenant renewal. This is her coming to the Lord because she says, your God will be my God. I'm denouncing it. The, my other family, the Moabites, I'm Israeli now. I go with you. She says, she even goes so far as to say, and listen, listen, whatever happens, may the Lord visit it on me if I don't do this. Let no man, let no man separate what God is bringing forth together today. Do you, do you see? This is covenant language. This is what our God has done for us. He entered into a covenant. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Not because of anything you've done, but because everything that Jesus has done. And now we come under Jesus' sacrifice and we say, God, forgive me. All of these things that I have faith, my family, my friends, my finances, my, uh, my, my intellect, uh, these things that I thought uh, my own way, my own logic, I can pull, I don't need anybody. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. God, today, all of that has failed me. And God, today, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. How you think, I think. Where you want me to say, I'll say. I'm going with you, God. And I need you. And you know, you know what the great thing is? Is that God's not dependent on me to keep the covenant. He keeps it for me. Because this is all about him, not about us. This is why when we make a bad decision, he doesn't turn away from us. When we make a bad decision and our consequences stink and we come back to him in repentance, he says, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. Come home, child. This is what Ruth was saying. God had entered into a covenant with his people, Israel, not because they did anything great. They're a small country. They're unknown. Uh, why should they have been chosen? And God says, because of my great name. You realize you and I did nothing great. We're nobodies. Why should, why should, he, why should he choose us and save us? Because of his great name, he's done that. This is what the scripture teaches us. Do you realize that God is a loyal God? He will never leave or forsake you. This is what he's called us to, is to never leave or forsake him, to walk with him, to follow him, to go with him, to represent him. But I'm thankful beyond all measure 
that we serve a merciful and gracious God, that when I fail, he is still faithful. And he stands today, no matter where you are, no matter what you've dealt with, no matter the bitter situation that you're in, financial, medical, relational, uh, inside turmoil, do you realize that he stands today? He holds out life to you. Eternal life, for those of you who have never surrendered your life to him, who've never submitted your life, and abundant life for those of you who have been trying to find it in a foreign country, away from the Lord. Listen, we can be like Orpah and go back to plenty. We're the foreign gods and be in spiritual famine. Or we can do what Ruth has done. And we can say, I'm going with you, God. I'm yours. Come what may. You're going to feed me. You're going to nourish me. You're going to water me. You're going to provide for me. I don't know how it's going to happen in the land of famine today. And ladies and gentlemen, friends, church members, we walk. It feels like we walk in a time like the judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. It feels like that we walk in a day where there is a spiritual famine. But I truly believe and I'm praying for that there will be an awakening and a revival that will happen. But that's going to happen when God's people, the ones who are of the house of bread, come back to him. They return to the house of bread and say, I'm yours. I go with you, Lord God. This, this is what he calls us to. This, this, is, this is what Ruth's all about. God preserving a name for his people. And I need you to know, wherever you are right now, whatever the decision that you've made, that you feel like I've messed it all up, it's not. Because we serve a God who takes our crooked and makes straight. We serve a God that is not just one chance. He's like a thousand chances for us. We serve a God who today holds out grace to those of us who have lived graceless. Those of us who feel like, man, he is heaping on punishment after punishment. No, he's heaping on all kinds of graces to get you to turn and come home. As a child of his, he's not punishing you. He may be disciplining you. Because he means you no harm. He means you to come to him. Jesus is the answer to what we face today. How will that happen? By coming to him first, and then he will work those things out. Today, we're going to enter into a time. I'm going to ask our worship team. Will y'all go ahead and come on up, please? We're going to enter into a time because we're about to take communion together. And in, in our time of communion, just as the scripture lays out for us, it tells us that we should examine ourselves. And I'm asking you today, I'm asking you, are you in the faith? Have you, like, you've claimed it, but you've never lived it? Maybe you go, no, I am, but I do feel like I'm in a foreign country. Come home. Come home. Listen, there's a harvest that's happening. You know, the harvest that was happening in 
back in Bethlehem. You know what's unique is that uh, the book of Ruth starts with a famine, and by, verse, by the last verse of the chapter, there's a harvest that's taking place. And some of you walked in here with a spiritual famine in your life, but I need you to know he's called you here to harvest today. That's what he's called for. So in this moment, Josh, if you'll just a little bit, I'm going to ask that we take a few moments and that we just have a time of, maybe for you, a time of repentance, of return from the foreign country. Maybe someone in here wants someone to pray with them about, you don't know Jesus. I want to pray with you. I'll be down front. Maybe you want to come and kneel. You may go, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the middle. I can't get out. I, and let me tell you something. You just tap, people will start moving. That's all right. Father, I'm asking right now that you would do a work in our lives today. And Father, I pray that we may one day look back and see that February 19, 2023, you radically altered our church and our lives. Oh God, we love you. Nobody looking. There's just a little. Zeke, I am going to ask. Why don't you sing over us? Why don't you sing over us? He's going to sing over us. He's going to sing about the Father's love. And you do whatever the Lord has called you to. I'll be here. And then at the, at the close of our time, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together.
this morning. We're going to take communion together. We do this together. It's not something that we do separately. We offer it and take it together. And so I'm going to ask our deacons who are in the back, would you please go ahead and start the, uh, the, the service, please? Uh, we're going to be serving from the front and from the back. Let me tell you a little bit about communion because there are going to be some people in here, you've never observed communion. You're not certain about it. This is a memorial meal. It's a meal that Jesus instituted and redefined on the night that he was betrayed. It was a Passover meal that happened back in Egypt to begin with to release the captives. And so what we do with our meal is remember that we've been set free from the captivity of sin because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And so today, this is for believers, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. If there's never been a time when you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Savior, I would ask that you just let this go by. Because you see, in a memorial, if you go to a memorial service, you're going to remember someone that you knew, that it changed you, that it impacted you. And so in this memorial meal, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we would ask you just to hold back from that. We can talk about that later. I'd love to meet with you. There's nothing of salvation. This does not bring salvation. This is a symbol. The bread is a symbol of the body of Jesus being broken. The juice, the symbol of the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed, that covers our sin that Jesus paid for on the cross. And so today, we remember. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said that we ought to examine ourselves. He said when we don't examine ourselves, he said for those of you who are in Corinth, you've been eating and drinking judgment on yourself. You've been taking it in a way that's not correct. And so today, we do that. We ask the Lord, Lord God, am I in Christ? Lord, is there anything that I need to turn from, to turn back to you, to agree with you on? And so during that time, that's what we've done. And so now, as a body of believers in Jesus, in Christ, we celebrate that and we remember. So if you will, open up the small end of that where the bread is. Pull that out. Paul said that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread of the Passover and that he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat while we eat. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your sovereign plan. We thank you for his death, his broken body. The same way they took the cup. If you'll turn it over and open the cup side. I say this often when we take communion. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It tells us that there once was a day when there was sacrifices of bulls and 
goats and rams and turtle doves, but they could never wipe away the sin debt once and for all. It was only by Jesus Christ, only by Jesus, a once for all death for all who would come. Not everyone is saved, only those who come to Jesus and accept his sacrifice of his blood. So tonight, today, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and the blood that makes us whiter than snow. Would you take and drink? Zeke, can we close out with that song you were just singing, How Deep the Father's Love? Scripture says that they sung a hymn after the communion, and then they left. Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing that song, How Deep the Father's Love. And then we're going to be dismissed, dismissed to go, to, to fellowship, to pray with each other, to encourage one another. Don't leave out without shaking hands with someone or hugging a neck and saying, man, I'm praying for you, and pray with them. Jesus, we love you. We honor you, and we magnify you today. Jesus, you are great, and we've sought to lift you high today in our singing, and our reading, our teaching, and the way that we observe your communion. And now, would you go before us as we shed and share your light, your salvation light to those we come in contact with. And it's in the name of Jesus that we sing and we say amen today. Amen, Jesus. deep, how deep the Father's love for us.